so I'm about to go to my first movie in a movie theater since what must be February of 2020, I'm going to say. It's probably the last time I was in a movie theater, February 2020. So it's quite a long time. I can't even remember what the last movie was that I would have seen. And of course, I apologize auto traffic here in Manhattan on the West Side Highway at any Battery Park Cinema, Cinema, Cinema. And of course I'm going to see Dune. And I'm sure that I will probably watch it at home if my experience today is a good one. But I'm also sure that I'll see it again in a movie theater because Denny Villeneuve films have a scope and a grandeur and a layer to them that, you know, really rewards, if not requires, multiple viewings. You know, we're lucky to be alive in a time where Denny Villeneuve is making films and they're commercially successful. Just yesterday, uh, I believe the studio announced that they are going forward with part two of Dune because I believe what I'm about to see is really the first half of the first book of the Dune saga written by Frank Herbert. So I'll be curious to see how the film kind of reaches uh, an end. I, I think I know where they're going to do that. Uh, I reread the book over the summer and was really impressed. I wasn't really anticipating kind of being impressed. I think the last time I read it was in the impressionable and stoned high school days. But um, the characters were really good. And one of the things that I think I'm about to experience is that the casting has been spot on in terms of all the main characters. One thing when I read the book, obviously I had known at that point who, who was cast in the film. And, you know, Timothy Chalamet is a perfect, perfect simulacrum of what's on the page. Same goes for Josh Brolin. Same goes for everybody, really. So you know, I'm really curious to see if that holds up. But most of all, you know, I'm just really looking forward to a cinematic experience in a movie theater. It's not going to be a crowded one. I'm sort of approaching the theater now and just thinking, wow, what a, what a weird and rare moment for this to feel special. That I'm going to just go to a movie, something that I took for granted for all the years pre-COVID. And have not had the experience of, obviously, up until today. Here we are, almost at Halloween. So, what are my expectations going in? Um, let's be honest. You know, I'm a, I'm a Denny Villeneuve freak. I'm expecting this to be amazing and awesome. Uh, I'm expecting it to be emotional and magical. I'm expecting to be transported into the world of Dune in a way no previous filmed treatment of the source material has accomplished. And I think I'm going to feel that for the first time, this iconic seminal science fiction text has been appropriately addressed and put on the screen by exactly the right filmmaker at exactly the right time in his career, crucially. And that's the other thing I think I feel lucky about is he is right now at the height of his powers and the full command of the medium. And to see that on display in movie theater is really a thing of magnificence and magnitude that I'm still capable of being awed and swept up by. So, yeah, those are my expectations. I don't know that it's tough to compare it to something like Blade Runner 2049. I think, as I've said many times in the pop before, I saw that five times in the theater. So very hard to think of another film that I've seen that many times in the theaters while it was out in its first release. 
really loved everything about that movie. So I'm not going to compare it to that because that's a different thing. But I guess if I had any concerns, it would be the fact that they're truncating the story in some way because I do feel that the, the scope of the first novel, it would be impossible to put that entirely on the screen. In one movie, it would have to be about six or seven or eight hours long. So I think it is the right choice to split it into two. But I will be curious to know if being aware of the book as I am, am I going to feel a little truncated in an experience that really won't fully come together until maybe the second film comes out and you can really watch both of them together as one. I'll be curious to know how quickly they're going to jump into filming the second film. I didn't get a chance to look online and see if Denny was committed to anything or if the actors were committed to anything in the interim. I'm sure there will be some pre-production, but it's probably pretty ready to go. So presuming that, you know, maybe it's something that could come out in 2023. I did see that Warner Brothers announced it would be released only in the theaters, which I think is a fig leaf to the controversy that occurred when uh, Warner Brothers announced that all 2021 releases would be available both in the theater and on HBO Max at the same time. So that's maybe a fig leaf to a filmmaker like Danny Villeneuve's caliber. Uh, but I also was pleasantly surprised to see that the film had certainly done the business it needed to do globally and in the States in the theaters alone uh, in order to justify the economic outlet. So those are my expectations. Um, I'm really looking forward to Timothy Chalamet. I think uh, despite the fact that he spells his first name with two E's and an accent, um, I think he is a supremely capable actor and this could probably be the first role that gives him enough to he's already a star but I think to carry a film and to be central to a story in this way of this this breadth and scope is a whole different thing as an actor and, and you've really got to be able to you got to be able to hold the screen and carry that and carry the viewers with you. So I'm cautiously optimistic that what we're going to see is a star making performance. And that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm open. I will pick this back up in my office on the way home. I'm not sure if I'll talk into the voice recorder like I'm doing now on the walk home or whether I'll sit with my thoughts and get back into the office and pick this up after I've seen the film and share with you my thoughts about Danny Villeneuve's Dune. So here we go. We're at the movie theater and let's check it out. Talk to you soon.
Okay, back at the microphone now after the screening of Dune. My reactions very simply are, it was beyond my expectation. You heard me hear what my hopes were prior to uh, the screening, but the film is so faithful to the book is the first thing. So uh, everything I'm about to say is coming purely from a place where I am reasonably familiar with the book. I'm by no means an expert, but you know, the book itself is like all science fiction, although set in a time not our own, it's telling us about ourselves. You know, Dune is the story of humankind's essential grab for power, influence, money. It's about the way factions will war to control the means of power, the means of production. It's about colonization and planets and peoples that for generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, suffer the pillage, the plunder, the rape of the natural resources, the people, the financial gains of those natural resources. And then poignantly and brilliantly, the first Dune book is about a hero's journey in Paul Atreides, who undergoes a compelling and remarkable arc that mirrors a lot of what the societal shifts represented in the book are about. So we meet him and he is a youth. He is the son of the head of the house of Atreides. And he is in training both for the warfare, which will eventually be required of him, but his mother is also a member of a very special and specialized order called the Bene Gesserit. And this all-female order have powers of persuasion and mind reading and play a much longer game historically than the houses that any of them are individually aligned with. And very neatly and succinctly, that's kind of what Dune, the book, is about. It's about Paul Atreides as he uh, first shirks off this sense of destiny and responsibility that haunts his dreams, then finds himself in a moment not of his own making. His family is betrayed by the emperor who has sent his family to the spice planet Arrakis and ostensibly given them the planet in order to mine the spice, which is a psychoactive substance gleaned from the sand that is the most valuable substance in the universe. But there's events that transpire which cause the deal, as it were, to change. And Paul Atreides finds himself fleeing what he had known, uh, the comfort and the cultivating of himself as a person and as a future king, and finds himself at a very critical moment both in the history of Arrakis as a planet, in the history of the House of Atreides, and on his own hero's journey. So without giving anything away about the movie, that's sort of the thumbnail sketch that I think you need to know before you go see the movie. Now, what I was particularly impressed by in the book, 
the most recent time I read it, was the hero's journey. It was the way in which Frank Herbert didn't shy away from making this character complicated by and complicated for us as a reader, complicated by his circumstance. So this sort of the effect of power, the effect of leadership, uh, the effect of, you know, this male role of like, you are now in charge. What that does to the psyche is mingled with all of this kind of science fiction, supernatural stuff that's going on in the book. And, you know, it's essentially a story of power corrupting, but it's a story of triumph. It's all of these things. It's all of these very human kind of elemental qualities of civilization blended together. So that's what I had remembered from the book was sort of how compelling the journey of Paul Atreides was throughout the course of the novel. Now, as I said in my walk to the movie theater, this movie covers roughly the first half of the book. So it takes Paul Atreides up through his journey into the desert with the Freeman and his mother and the object that has been haunting his dreams, the person that's been haunting his dreams, the destiny that's been haunting his dreams has come true. And the movie ends on this incredibly fulfilling emotional upsweep, which is really the last kind of innocent moment I think we're going to see Paul Atreides based on what's about to happen to him in the second movie when it comes out in 2023. So, you know, my expectation originally when I heard the casting was how spot on I thought the casting was. I think Timothy Chalamet possesses exactly the qualities that a young Paul Atreides has much throughout the first book, but he also possesses this strength, this spine, this sense of moral rectitude, certitude, but also conflict, which is so essential to the character. In short, it is an absolute pitch-perfect meeting of actor and role, much like really everybody else in the film. Uh, his father is played by Oscar Isaac. So all of those Oscar Isaac qualities, you know, heavy hangs the crown, a good man who is forced into difficult circumstances, but has a sense of honor and duty and a sense of familial history that is bigger than himself, is bigger than his son. Rebecca Ferguson as the as the mother of Paul Atreides, who, who is, is not married to Duke Leto Atreides, Jason, uh, Oscar Isaac's character. She's his concubine. Um, she's a Bene Gesserit, and she possesses those abilities that I had mentioned earlier. She is phenomenal and also contains this struggle inside of her between what she knows as a member of this order and her role as a mother, and her role as a lover and friend to Duke Leto Atreides. And brilliantly, at the very end of the film, almost the last shot of the film is a, is a shot of her face after we've seen Paul Atreides move off into the desert with the group of Freeman, particularly Chani, who is played by Zendaya, who is the, this person that that um, Paul has seen in his dreams throughout the, throughout the film. And there's a shot right at the end of 
Rebecca Ferguson's face, and it's a harbinger of the changes that those of us who've read the novel are familiar with that are about to happen in the course of their relationship. So there's also this element of the parent and the child and the child kind of growing up and growing out of the influence of the parent. I think that's something that's very well done in the film. Uh, some of the supporting characters around the House of Atreides are brilliantly sketched by Jason Momoa, uh, Josh Brolin, Sharon Duncan Brewster plays Dr. Liet Kynes, who is a very intrinsic character. And then some of the people who play the baddies, the Harkonnens, as they're known, Stellan Skarsgård, phenomenal. I mean, just unbelievable. Dave Bautista plays Beast Robin Harkonnen. Dave Dostmalkian plays uh, sort of a court henchman of Baron Harkonnen. And just everyone is perfect. So the casting is phenomenal. Charlotte Rampling does an incredible turn as the reverend mother of the Benny Gesserit. And really everyone, everyone in the film is, is absolutely perfectly cast. So, so going into it, I knew that there was a faithfulness to the book that you could assume from the casting. Now, as I've said before, he's a huge, huge fan of Blade Runner 2049. I think in many ways, it's the Blade Runner film that we wished the original Blade Runner kind of could have been all the way through. I think it's very fair to say, although probably not popular, that the influence of the film far, far outweighs really the essential quality of the entirety of the film when it comes to the original Blade Runner. And I say that because essentially the last almost third of the movie, maybe even the last half of the movie, is really just an extended chase scene uh, between Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer. And it's a great one. And it's filmed brilliantly. But the world building that takes place in the first third or half of the film is really what we all love. And it's what's so influential about that film. But as a story told from beginning to end, I don't personally think it really holds up uh, outside of that incredible influence. That's one of the most influential films of all time. There's no question. And it has a melancholy and a sense of noir emotion at its heart that is brilliant. You think I'm a replicant, don't you? Look. It's me with my mother. Yeah? Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were gonna play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. 
Okay. Bad joke. I made a bad joke. You're not a replicant. Go home. Okay? No, really. I'm sorry. Go home. Blade Runner 2049 in the hands of Denny Villeneuve and his and his creative team was a fully and completely realized and wholly told story that emotionally and technologically completed the arc of what that film meant, was, could be hinted at. And in giving us this emotional arc of the Harrison Ford character in Deckard, being able to see him again and see just an actor of Ford's capability to bring some emotion to the arc over, you know, 25, 30 years later, that's the real power of that. And, and so that film really spoke to me. Um, I think Denny Villeneuve as a filmmaker, where he's at right now, really is speaking to me. He's, he's everything that I'm currently interested in cinema. I haven't really loved all of the movies. Um, I've liked them here and there prior to Blade Runner 2049, but I think Blade Runner 2049 represented a major step forward in his ability to command a story and tell a story using the medium of film completely and wholly. And I think Dune represents just a further iteration of those talents. That's why I said it exceeded my expectations. It exceeded them emotionally, primarily. Um, not to say Blade Runner 2049 is not an emotional experience, because it was, but Dune, as told by Denny Villeneuve and his screenwriters and, and production designers and sound designers and costume designers, because this, this is a Denny Villeneuve film, but it is absolutely the sum of so many impressive parts. But in a theater, which I really encourage you to see the film in a theater, the visual and sonic power and heft and weight of Dune is incredible. I think it it's elemental. It's the stuff of life in a way. It, it has a portentousness with the weight of things and the the, the shock of seeing spacecraft descend from the sky. There, there are certain things that I know Denny Villeneuve connects straight back to his childhood because I've heard him talk at great length about his origins as a kid reading science fiction in his room and being transported to these worlds. To me, the thing, the engine at the center of Dune as a film is that connection that he clearly felt as a kid to this material and his fealty and faith to this to the source material is what gives this film a great emotional heft and power. I feel a direct connection to that. I think he's talked about that at great length. You can listen to him on the DGA podcast or other podcasts that he's been on recently or other interviews that he's given talking about this film. And if you're 
a kid who grew up as a reader, who grew up escaping into books and comic books and movies and TV shows as an escape from something, I think you will plug into the emotional core of where he's coming from with this film. I think as a science fiction film, he manages never to lose sight of the emotion. And he does that through, as I said, the use of the hugeness of moments, not just important plot moments, but like a huge spacecraft descends from the sky and in a theater, it has this just powerful resonance and bass and it's scary. It's big. It's, it's larger than life in a way that the cinema can only provide, you know, and I'm so grateful having seen this movie that there are people making films with the power to remind us of the emotional connection you can have in a movie theater that is unlike any you're able to have in front of your computer or your television set. So, so that's, that's the thing I feel the most, but the confidence of the storytelling. Now, again, if you haven't read the book, I I don't know what your experience will be like. It'd be interesting. You know, um, I know that my wife hasn't read the book and she hasn't seen the film yet. I plan to go see it with her. I'll be curious to see, Uh, what her experience of it is. I think it's pretty straightforwardly told. Of course, there's going to be little nooks and crannies of tidbits of information. Mostly a lot of things that I think are hinted at that are in the film to come are probably the things that maybe you won't take away from the film uh, if you're not really familiar with the book. I was thinking on the walk back from the movie theater, if there's a more er seminal text in science fiction than Dune, um, I can't think of another one that, that has the same kind of mythic proportion. You know, I guess if you put, I would put Lord of the Rings in the sort of fantasy category more than the sci-fi category. But I think Dune is a rite of passage for teenagers. It's a counterculture kind of take, you know, spice can feel like a drug. It's psychedelic. It has psychedelic properties explicitly stated in the book. It's much like the pipe weed in Lord of the Rings, you know, stoners of the 60s, 70s, and 80s are having a side experience with these texts than uh, perhaps the author intended or not. We won't know. But, but I think Dune is that kind of elemental kind of book and a very different book than a lot of other science fiction books. So famously, the attempt to capture this in a film uh, had disastrous kind of initial consequential results in the 1984. Was it 1984, the original version? Move back. This is part of the weirding way that we will teach you. Some thoughts have a certain sound, that being the equivalent to a form. Through sound and motion, you will be able to paralyze nerves, shatter bones, set fires, suffocate an enemy or burst his organs. We will kill until no Harkonnen breathes Arakeen air. 
this is just on such a different scale and on such a more meaningful, emotional, I keep coming back, elemental, emotional, primal, like it's the stuff of life. You know, it, it takes place in a time, not our own, but it feels elemental. It feels like you are watching the birth of societies in all of the messy splendor. And yet you're also kind of being astounded by the bravery and humanity uh, within uh, this ecosystem that, that, you know, does not reward the individual like much science fiction. So these themes that I think Denny Villeneuve keeps coming back to over and over again are really writ large up on the screen. And I think he really, really made probably what I would have to imagine is just one of the most impressive films of the year. Again, I haven't been in a movie theater since January or February of 2020. So I haven't had a lot of experience going to the movies. I can tell you that watching the trailers that came before Dune, you know, the theaters are now outfitted with this Dolby Atmos sound system. And oh my God, trailer editors, please turn it down. You, you guys have gone way over the top. There's like a Michael Bay trailer and all these other trailers that are just so excessively uh, sound designed. Oh my God. But anyway, I digress. Sound design, I mean, as, as many amazing visual images as are on screen in Dune, and there are many, uh, the cinematography is absolutely stunning. The framing is absolutely stunning. The editing is absolutely stunning. The sound design is just, it, it, it just exists on a whole other filmmaking plane. There, there's no other filmmaker working today that's putting something so sonically interesting and challenging on screen. You know, I remember seeing Blade Runner 2049 and just the incredible power of the soundtrack, the music is such an important part of that film. And as it is here too, 
The score is phenomenal. It underscores what we're seeing on screen. It helps it. It supports it. And it's just one of those ensemble performances where everybody's in the same movie. Everybody's pulling on the same rope. And there's really not a moment uh, awry. You know, it's a film that will reward close viewing and reviewing. It's a film by a filmmaker really at the absolute height of his powers and his tolerance for all of what he must have to go through in order to realize this vision and put it on the screen, which I'm sure has to be incredibly exhausting. Uh, So I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be able to work at the level that he's working at. But right now, marshalling bigness in the way that he is, is really something to behold. So I couldn't speak higher of this film. It was an emotional experience. It was a world-building experience. And I think if you can find a reason to go to the cinema, go to the theater and see the movie there, you will be rewarded. And you deserve that reward after making it through this pandemic and not being able to participate in everyday life. it's a, it's a great way to go reward yourself. And if you really want to get the most out of it, give Dune the book a reread. I think rereading the entirety of the novel, even though this film only covers the first half of the novel, will inform your appreciation and understanding of what you're seeing. In a way, I felt the power of what was to come at the end of the film. Whereas if you didn't know what was to come in the novel... It's still put up on the screen in a way designed to tug your emotions based on the experience you've just had with these characters. But knowing what I know, those moments were all the more powerful and freighted with emotion at the end. (laughs) Couldn't say enough about it. Wanted to just especially also shout out Javier Bardem because he does an incredible performance as Stilgar, who is the leader of the Freeman that they encounter just towards the last third of the film. And he is only in a couple of scenes, but an actor of his abilities is really what's required to lend that character who kind of tends to speak for much of the Freeman's uh, burden. You know, he has to do that in a couple scenes, speak for an entire race of people, and he, he manages to do that, so was really, really impressed. It's a film I can't wait to see again. Um, I can't wait to read about it and own as many books about it as I do Blade Runner 2049 books. I purposely didn't listen to Denny's conversation with Christopher Nolan about the film, which came out a couple weeks ago on the DGA podcast, which is a very good source for listening to directors talking about their films. Uh, I I was going to listen to it on the walk back, but I I, I wanted to be alone with my own experience of the film. And in a lot of ways, I think that's really the most any filmmaker could probably hope to ask for an audience member is he gave me a shared experience, but he also gave me an individual experience. And that is a compliment of the highest order. So go see Dune. Let me know what you thought. Uh, Let me know if you read the book or reread the book, but I will get this out next week uh, when many of you hopefully will have already seen it. 
please, please, please make the effort to go and see it in a theater as intended. Watch it for your second or your third time at home. But for your first time, really go to the theater and just be blown away by the sonic and visual power and majesty of the filmmaking. You won't be disappointed. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.